My goal today is not a uh, teaching seminar on the subject of deconstruction. I am not a, a teacher by any means. In fact, I am a reluctant preacher of the word of God. God got a hold of me as a 17-year-old 17 17-year-old 17 teenager. And uh, his presence changed me forever. It was in that moment I discovered I was called to preach the word of, of God. The Bible says God uses the foolishness of preaching. I like that verse. <laughs> and... Uh, over the course of today's conversation, I hope that you would like more. And if you would, there is a, uh, a gentleman by the name of Nathan Finocchio who taught on this subject deconstruction at Wave Conference last year and uh, does a great job of going even deeper and further than we're going to go this morning. And so I'd encourage you to download the Wave online app and you can uh, watch Nathan's message on deconstruction. But we're going to read some Bible this morning. Is that okay? John chapter 6, our online campus. We love all of you. We're going to jump into John chapter 6. And just to give us some context before we read what takes place here, this is a pivotal moment that we see happen in the life of disciples. And it is a moment that I suggest happens to, to all of us as followers of Jesus. And, and before we jump into John chapter 6, verse 60, Jesus is teaching his disciples, not just the 12 disciples, but there are many more disciples. Jesus has just done two miracles. And so there's this audience, if you will, that is intrigued with Jesus, that is following Jesus, that many of them are saying that they are committed disciples. They are disciples of, of, of Jesus. It is a picture of the church. And then Jesus starts to teach. And he starts to teach and say things that upset some of these disciples. Jesus starts to reveal who he really is, that he is the son of God, the, the bread of of, of life, that he is King Jesus. And, and some of these disciples, the Bible say that they begin to grumble. You ever grumbled in church? Just me? And the Bible says grum the grumbling turns to arguing. And then we're going to pick up in, in verse 60. So Jesus is teaching. And it says this, when many of the disciples heard it, when they heard Jesus teaching his words, they said, this is a hard saying. This is hard teaching. Who can listen? Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Are you offended? You ever been offended in church? Nobody wants to be honest. I have. Jesus asked the question, are you offended? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Can I get an Amen. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Verse 65, and then, and then he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And then there is this little phrase that I would love for us as a church family to focus on this morning. The Bible says, after this, after the teaching of Jesus and after the contemplating and grumbling and, and arguing and after the words of Jesus the Bible says after this somebody say after this many of his disciples turn back and no longer walk with him you ever done that I have after this I have turned from following Jesus 
stopped walking with him, verse 67. So Jesus then says to the 12, it wasn't the 12 disciples that walked away. It was many of the other disciples that said they were following Jesus. They're offended and they choose to walk away. And it's after this, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, do you want to go away as well? I mean, can you imagine in this moment? And then Peter answers him, I love this response, Lord, to whom shall we go? Peter gives us the key to walking through our after this. Peter says, you have the words of eternal life. And I speak for all of us 12 disciples, we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Anybody believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life this morning? John chapter 14, verse 6. I feel like I hear something behind me. It's making me a little nervous. I don't know if anybody else can hear that. Nobody, just me. I'm getting old and hearing things. Pray for me. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. This is Jesus saying this, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. This series is an important one, church, because there is a problem in Christian culture today where we prefer our idea of Jesus rather than who Jesus really is. I do this in my own life where I prefer Jesus as the gesture, the gesture instead of King Jesus. And I want Jesus to come out and perform and, and entertain me and make me feel good when I want him to and need him to, but Jesus is no gest gesture, Jesus is King. Jesus is the king. Can I get an amen? amen? Either Jesus is the way or he isn't. Either Jesus is the life or he isn't. Either Jesus is the way or he isn't. Either Jesus is the words of life or he isn't. Either Jesus knows better than I do or he doesn't. Can we pray? I'm going to pray anyway. If that's okay. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Holy Spirit of God, I thank you that you're here. I thank you that your presence is here. I thank you that you have orchestrated and you've actu you actually know and you knew who would be here today. You've been waiting in anticipation. I thank you that you are glad every person is here. You smile at the fact that every person is here. Wherever we are in our Christian journey, I think that there's people in this room who don't know you yet, who don't know what it is to be forgiven of their sins. I thank you that they are here. God, you are glad that they are here, that they can encounter your grace and your truth and your presence today. God, personally, Holy Spirit of God, I need your grace, your power, your authority, your anointing. I need it to preach this word today. I am aware that I am nothing without you. And God, I just pray for a miracle in the New York Mets organization and everybody said. I'm gonna keep praying it until it happens. I had an after this moment that I'm not too proud of uh, a week or two ago. It was actually last Saturday. And uh, this happened on a, on a 15 mile run. And you may be thinking to yourself, Josh, by the looks of your physical, physical capabilities, why are you trying to run for 15 miles? The answer to that question is because I have friends 
who are lunatics. And uh, they decided that we're going to train for an event that's happening later in the year. I'm not going to tell you what it is because you're trying to convince me to not do it. And I don't need that in my life. These friends of mine, they inspire me. They, they challenge me in many areas of life. One of those areas is physical fitness. They are all far beyond where I am physically as a human being. The type of friends, but when we, I don't know if you ever ran with somebody before who's just better at running than you and they enjoy it. You don't. And so we set up for this 15-mile run, and we've been training on this program, and every Saturday we do a long run, and, and, and we've been doing, you know, 9, 10 mile runs before this, but I had never run 15 miles before. And the week before, the, the, these guys did 13 miles, but I didn't do 13 miles because I was sick, thank God. And, <laughs> and so I'm jumping from 10 to, to, to 15 miles. I've never ran 13 miles before, a half marathon in my life, but I'm excited. I've convinced myself that, that I'm going to make it through this 15-mile run, and these friends of mine, are, on this day in particular, there's those of us that are doing it. It's Brandon, Davey, Zach, and Aaron. On this day, it was, it was just Zach and Aaron. Davey was running the next day by himself because he's a lunatic, but he's a good husband. It was, his, it was his wife's birthday on Saturday, so he was gonna run by himself the next day. Shout out to Davey Dworski. Can I get an amen? amen. And we start this run, and, and, and you know we've got our little running vests, and, and we've got the water and electrolytes, and I've got... You know, we've all got sna snacks. I've got a little more snacks than the other guys because I love snacks. <laughs> we start this, this run and 15 miles and, 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 and I put my headphones in and I asked the guys, I'm like, guys, where's your, where's your AirPods? They're like, oh, we're not, we're not gonna listen to music. So you're just gonna listen to nature while you suffer? Who does, who does that? I've, I've created a playlist of, of heavy metal music and Taylor Swift to help me persevere and get through this run. And we start running, and these guys, they are, they are so far beyond me uh, in fitness that they are, they're having conversations while they run, <laughs> laughing and giggling and telling stories, and they're turning back to me like, Josh, are you good? No, at no point in this run am I good, <laughs> or am I talking? Surviving, we get through the first five miles. It was a little harder than I thought it was going to be. And then we get from mile six to 10. And, and everybody talks about this runner's high. I've yet to find <laughs> whatever that feels like. Get to mile 10, and, and I've gone through almost all of my snacks, <laughs> my water. But I'm feeling better than I thought I would at mile 10. And I'm like, man, we're three miles, I'm three miles away from a half mile. I've never done this before, so I'm feeling good about my, myself. And, and then we get to mile 13. And it was after this that all hell broke loose in my life. <laughs> I felt pretty good. But then we hit mile 13, and it was after this that my body and my mind began to fail me. My mind is telling me no, and my body is telling me no. And I get to mile 13, I know that there's just two miles left, and the mental battle begins, and I'm just trying to convince myself to, to not stop and to, to not walk, Josh, just keep jogging. And if you saw me from mile 13 to 15, you probably would have observed, like, Josh, you were not jogging. That was anything but a jog. But for me, it was a jog. And all I am thinking about is just to get the, the run ended at Fresh Market. Why does it end at Fresh Market? Because Fresh Market has ice cream sandwiches, and we always reward ourselves with an ice cream sandwich after we run. Can I get an amen? 
At this point, my, my pace begins to dwindle, and Zach and Aaron, they, they, they keep the, the 9, 30, 10-minute pace, and so they begin to run off in the distance, and at this point, I'm just praying that somebody left a lime scooter because they would never know. <laughs> I finally make it to Fresh Market. I just collapse on the curb, and I just wait for Aaron and Zach to get out from Fresh Market and bring me my ice cream sandwich, and I... Checked my phone, and a friend of mine had seen me running, and the text just simply said, are you okay? <laughs> no. A journey of 15 miles that church, I, I was convinced I was, I was going to do really well until there was this moment. 13 miles, and it was after this, I was ready to give up on running for the rest of my life. Like, God, I will vow right now I will never move faster than a brisk walk for the rest of my life. And church, I've found myself in similar places in my Christian walk where I was once excited and full of faith, and then life happens. And then there are these moments, these after-this moments, and depending on how we navigate these after-this this moments, it can make or break our faith walk. Moments like, I thought God was going to bless me. I didn't think he would bless me by teaching me how to persevere through pain. I didn't think the blessing was the opportunity to allow him to, to work good out of all things. I just want God to bring the good things. Anybody else like that? I don't want God to work good out of bad things. I don't want the bad things. I thought God was going to heal my friend, but he didn't heal my friend in the way that I thought that he would. And sometimes healing isn't always on this side of eternity. Or I thought life would be easier as a Christian. But after living out my faith, it's been harder. Maybe it's I thought he would give me all the answers. But after seasons of doubt and what feels like silence from heaven, there are some things that I will just never understand on this side of eternity. And I've had to learn to trust God in the unknown. But I like to know. Or it's moments like this where I have prayed and believed for things and they are good things. And I see God do it for people around me. But God doesn't do it for me. God, why not me? Walking through bitter disappointment. And there have been 13 mile moments in my Christian walk where I thought I was cruising in my spiritual walk with Christ and I thought my faith was unshakable, and then something comes along and rattles my faith. What do I do after this? And it is here in John chapter six, the disciples have a pivotal after this moment. For them, it was hearing the truth and the words of Jesus, and, and, and it was hard for them to comprehend. And they didn't like all the, the words that Jesus said. It even offended some of the disciples. And it was after this that these disciples, they walk away from Jesus. They abandon their faith. And then it is after this, Jesus turns to his 12 disciples and asks the important question, well, are you going to go as well? Oh, and I love the response from Peter. It is a lesson for the church. Peter says, well, Jesus, who else has the words of life? For we have come to believe that you are the Son of God. Where else can we go? And I love this response from, from, from Peter. It shows me and it reminds me that Jesus, I may not always understand. 
And, and at times, your truth and your word, it may even offend me. But I've come to understand and I know and I believe that if there's something in your word that offends me, then it means there's something wrong with me and something that needs to change in me. There's not something wrong with Jesus and there's not something wrong with his word. Peter says, Jesus, I believe you are the truth and the truth has been decided and I don't get to change it. Peter says, I want the truth of Jesus no matter what it costs me. Church, may, may we be reminded today that this Christian walk, this Christian life is a life of laying down and every day picking up our cross and following Jesus. Every day I lay down my sinful nature. Every day I lay down my selfish desires. Every day I lay down who I used to be and I pick up my cross and I follow Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen? And we all find moments in our Christian walk where we are met with this question, this crossroad. Are you going to go as well? If you've noticed, the enemy loves to creep in these moments and tempt us with lies. Says things like, hey, why don't you put down that cross and pick up this momentary pleasure? This other way that may look tantalizing but ultimately leads to emptiness and death, and yet Jesus says, pick up your cross, die to yourself, and you will find life. Can I get an amen? amen? I would suggest this, this pivotal after this moment with the disciples in John 6 gives us a picture of what's happening in culture today. And it is when we don't know how to navigate after this well, it has caused many Christians to adopt ideas, ideas like deconstructing and ultimately abandon, abandoning their faith. So what is, what is deconstruction? Y'all still with me? You may be here today and you've never heard the word deconstruction. You may be here today and, and you think you're deconstructing, but you're actually just reconstructing and reexamining your faith of what you believe and why you believe it and the assumptions that it holds. Or you may be here today and you really are deconstructing. Here's the best definition I found of deconstruction, which is, is tricky because ultimately deconstruction says there is no truth. So how do you define something that says there is no truth? I think we have this definition on the screen. It's a philosophical movement and theory of literary, literary criticism that questions traditional assumptions about certainty identity and truth that asserts that words can only refer to other words and attempts to demonstrate how statements about any text subvert their own meanings. That's fun. Deconstruction dismantles everything in an attempt to find the contradictions and to essentially show that everything is complex and unstable. Essentially, deconstruction says there is no truth. And its end goal, it's important that we understand this as a church family, its end goal is destruction, not deconstruction. And the greatest problem with what deconstruction has done in the Christian context is it ends up using culture to critique scripture instead of using scripture to critique culture. Can I get an amen? amen. For example, in John chapter six, Jesus is teaching the truth to his disciples, and we see some of the disciples 
They're offended and they critique the truth of Jesus instead of allowing the truth of Jesus to critique them. Now let me clarify, this is important. There is a difference between deconstruction and reconstructing our faith or wrestling with our faith. You ever wrestled with your faith before? Right now I am reconstructing my golf swing because it is in need of reconstructing. And I am tired of losing to my little brother Sam when we play golf. And so I have sought out help. I found a golf pro. His name's Andrew Brewer. He's a great guy. He's helping me fix my golf swing. I'm having to unlearn things that I was never meant to implement into my golf swing. I'm having to unlearn and, and learn new things. And I'm not de destructing, destroying my golf swing and abandoning golf. I'm just re-implementing good things so that I can keep my salvation on the golf course. Can I get an amen? amen. Wrestling with our faith, it is essential and it is necessary to our Christian walk. And there are things that we must unlearn and learn and grow and mature in our faith. I would suggest if we've never had moments of doubt or misunderstanding, I don't know that we are really living out this life of faith. Look how often the disciples got it wrong. That's encouraging to me. And they had to reconstruct their faith or their worldview to become more like Jesus. How many times did Jesus rebuke their thinking? Thomas. He saw a resurrected Jesus in the flesh before him and he still doubted and asked to see the scars of Jesus. And you know what I love is that Jesus could handle the doubt of Thomas and he had grace for Thomas and he's got grace for you. Can I get an amen? As we close, I think it's important to understand as leaders, especially as parents, there is a trend a lot of this is online of unhealthy deconstruction with an intent to destroy people's faith. This is dangerous because deconstruction becomes a great cop-out when there are things I do not like about my faith. And if you're here and you find yourself in this boat, friends, no, condom, no condemnation. But with all the truth and the grace that I have, I place a simple warning before you. One of the greatest things we can also do when it comes to deconstruction, if you're gonna deconstruct your faith, make sure that you deconstruct all the other ideologies of the world, because nothing else checks out, only Jesus. There are four main causes for deconstruction in our Christian context. All of these are real. First one is, is this, I'm just, I'm just gonna to touch on, on four, and there's one that we're gonna focus on this morning. The first one is this, a main cause for deconstruction that I would suggest everybody in this room has faced and causes a lot of people to adopt the idea of deconstructing their faith. It, it is this, it is church hurt. This is real and if you're here today and you've been hurt, you've been abused by a church leader, a pastor, somebody from church, you've been mistreated, we're all gonna be offended. Can I get an amen? But can, can I say this? Can I say on behalf of the church, can I say on behalf of Wave Church, I am sorry. That should not have happened to you. But can I also encourage you that the solution is not to abandon community. The solution is to grieve that pain, lament that pain, forgive, and to rebuild healthy community again. Can I get an amen? I have never met, I have yet to meet somebody deconstructing 
that does not possess a deep church hurt. Secondly, is a second main cause for deconstruction is, is poor teaching, just bad teaching. We're gonna talk about this in a moment. The third, third cause for, for deconstruction in the Christian context is, is the desire to sin. The desire to sin. This is big in today's culture. There's an area in my life that I do not wanna lay down. And instead of bringing it to the cross, we use deconstruction to validate our desires. And we say things like, well, Jesus is the problem, not me. And God's word is the problem, not me. Church, can I remind us today that I am the problem and that we are the problem and that we have a sin problem and we are in need of the grace of Jesus. We are in need of the forgiveness of Jesus. And he calls all of us. He invites and he calls all of us to lay all of who we are at the foot of the cross to experience grace and forgiveness and his truth. Amen. This is where deconstruction is poison, not medicine. Friends, the solution for all of us is repentance. That's good news. The fourth main cause for deconstruction is the temptation to be culturally accepted, to fit in. This can be tricky at work and social settings, and yet the call of Jesus is to die to ourselves and the want and need to be validated by people. The Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Before we close, I, I want to, before we close for the second time, if you're wondering. <laughs> I want to focus on something. The second cause is poor teaching. And parents, I want to remind us that this is affecting young people more and more each day. Especially on social media. Church, it is easy to misinterpret scripture. And it is easy to take verses out of context, but we are also dangerously capable of manufacturing scripture that makes us feel better. And to make things more difficult, especially for the next generation, social media, things like TikTok and self-proclaimed progressive Christian influencers are full of insufficient interpretations of scripture. And it is enticing and leading the naive astray and leading those looking for an alternative option in a confusion. And the truth is, whatever we behold, we become. And whatever we contemplate, we become. There was a study done a couple of years ago on Gen Z. And this was, the study was done on Gen Z Christians. This is not the general public, this is Gen Z Christians. The study revealed that over the course of a, of a year, Gen Z consumed 3,000 hours of digital media and 150 were Christian content. Friends, that is corroding our souls. That's a 20 to one ratio. There is a catastrophic imbalance in our current consumption. Friends, no wonder we are confused. The Bible says in John eight, the band can come on up. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, 
you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I love this word abide. Jesus says abide in my word. One of the translations for abide is living in. Jesus says if you're going to truly be my disciple, you must live in my word. Live in the word of God. So church, I ask an important question. Where are you living? Not what neighborhood do you live in? Spiritually, where are you living? This is challenging for me. Church, maybe we are not free because we don't know the truth. And maybe we don't know the truth because we are not living in his word. And so I ask again, what are we abiding in? I see so many confused people and Christians in the church. And we are living in anything but in the word of God. By the way, this is one of the reasons Jesus gives us his church. Because it's not just good teaching. How many people think we get good teaching for Pastor Steve here at Wave Church? <laughs> Friends, it's not just good teaching. Once a week on Sunday, we have many in this church who have gone before us who are wiser and they've lived out tested conviction who can help us navigate and understand the truth of the word of God. If I could take a moment and speak to the older generation for, for just a moment, can I do that? Whatever age and above. We need you. Understand this today. We need you. The next generation needs you. This is why community groups are so vital in today's culture because the, the young generation, it needs mentors. The next generation, it needs guides who have gone before and walked out this treacherous road of life, not perfectly, but faithfully and have wrestled with their faith and come out on the other side stronger in conviction and in faith. The next generation, it needs the wisdom of your walk through the wilderness seasons of life where we think God has left us and we don't feel him, yet we can learn from you to walk by faith and not by feeling. We need your testimony. We need your encouragement. We need your words of life. The next generation, it needs you to keep the faith, to inspire the next generation to dig deeper, to show us that God has more. Oh, we need you to inspire the next generation to return to the love of God again. We need you. We need you. As we close I, for the third time, and it's the last time. can't help but think about this statement that I watched live out in a great hero of this church Lauren Riddle the statement is this I will not exchange the things I know about God for the things I do not understand as I was writing this message 
and praying and toiling over this message, I could not help but think about this statement. I will not exchange the things I know about God for the things that I do not understand. Even in the things that I do not understand, this I do know. Who else has the words of life? And so even when I don't understand, I choose to cling to the words of Jesus. Even when I don't understand, I choose to cling to the cross. Even when I don't understand, I choose to remain in the community of fellow believers that God has called me to. Church, what do we know? What do we know? We know that Jesus is victorious. What do we know? We know that Jesus is the King. What do we know? We know that Jesus is returning. What do we know? We know that Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell cannot, will not, shall not prevail against it. What do we know? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you believe it, give God a shout of praise today. What do we know? Even when I don't understand, what do we know? Jesus, you are king. The world does not need any more cool Christians. The world needs Christians living with conviction. And even when we don't understand, what do we know? Jesus is king. And he's building his church. And that's where you will find me. Can I get an amen?